Welcome to Tea and Chat, the podcast where we explore different cultures from first-hand experiences. With your host, Rebecca, a British expat living in Canada. And welcome to today's episode of Tea and Chat. We have our first interview of the season with my dear friend Magdalene. If you have listened to season two, you would already know a bit about her. She's the girl who read 241 books in one year. So make sure to listen to that episode if you haven't already. Today, we're going to get to know her a bit better as she recalls her time living in Taiwan. I'm very excited to hear what she has to say about this beautiful country, so I know you will be too. Hello, Magdalene. How are you doing? Hey, Rebecca, I'm doing great, and I'm excited to be back on the podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Okay, first question, how many books did you read last year? (laughs) That's a good question. I beat my previous score total. Um, (laughs) I can't remember off the top of my head how many I read, but I think it was... (laughs) 320-ish. Oh my gosh, 320-ish. <laughs> yeah. I think at that point, when you're in the hundreds and you're over 300, I don't, I don't think it even matters. <laughs> right, we get right. the point that you read a lot, but it's impressive because I actually got a lot of feedback about that episode. People telling me, how many books did you read? And like, I'd always tell people, like whenever I was suggesting that they read like in English or they read more, I'd always be like, you need to listen to this episode and hear this girl who really reads. So you came up a lot in like my lessons just because of That's this fun. fact. Nice. So yeah, that's why I'm extra interested to hear some of your fun facts from today, maybe as well. So Taiwan, when were you there? And like, how long were you there for? Yeah, sure. So it's actually been quite a while. I was surprised when I like looked at what time I actually went and realized how long ago it was, just because it was such a big, like pivotal time in my life that I feel like it still has a lot of effects on my life today. And I can't believe mm. I actually arrived there about nine years ago. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> June 2013. And <laughs> I arrived back in Canada, I think in April 2014. So I was there for about 10 months, almost a year. Yeah. Mm. But it was such a long time ago since I Time passes by fast, but you've been back since as well, right? For yes, visits? yes, that is correct. Three years ago. So yeah, it was before the pandemic, of course. Three years ago, I spent about a month back in Taiwan, but that was purely for fun. That was just to see my friends. And I also, yeah. you know, I went with my sister and it was to kind of like show her this country that I love so much. But that's also a pretty long like vacation as well. So I feel like you yeah. have an idea of Taiwan from nine years ago, but you also have an idea of Taiwan today as well. So yeah. <laughs> I think you can still give us a really good insight into that. So I asked you like when you moved, but I guess the important question is why did you move and why Taiwan in particular? That is a very good question. So I moved to Taiwan, as I said, in June 2013, and that was immediately after I graduated from university. So I you know, finished my degree, and a month or two after that, I moved to Taiwan. And so while I was a university student, I had visited China, actually, mainland China. Mm. And for that reason, I had learned a little bit of Mandarin, and got really interested in the culture and the food and everything 
related to China and Chinese. Mm -hmm. And while I was in university, just on my own, I continued learning Chinese, not super seriously because I was still a student, but I was just so intrigued by this language that was so different from English. So I don't know, ever since after I left China that first time, I was just honestly kind of obsessed. I was just so intrigued by it all. And I had this idea in my head that I just really wanted to learn Chinese well. I wanted the opportunity to immerse myself in the culture and in the language as well and learn it well. I've always been also a language nerd. So it's no surprise that I kind of fixated on this new exciting language. And I just really wanted I wanted to have that experience, and I thought that after university was a good time because I had finished school, but I didn't have a job lined up or anything like that. And I thought, you know, perfect timing. I didn't have anything holding me back in Canada. So, yeah, I took that opportunity. Yeah. So the main reason was that you wanted to really immerse yourself not only in the culture, but to help improve your language skills yes. in Mandarin, right? Yes, exactly. And at the same time, so you said you took that interest while you were at university, but you were studying French. That's <laughs> yes. what you majored in, right? Mm -hmm. So we can definitely say you're a language nerd, but you also have that experience of practicing multiple languages at the same time. Yes. Did you find then after being there for 10 months that it did help you improve your language skills? Oh, definitely. So because I went to Taiwan with you know, one of my main goals was to learn Chinese. So I really put a big emphasis on it. That was one of my main purposes there. And I put a lot of effort into it. I was also teaching English, of course, kind of, you know, that was a big reason too, is because I wanted experience teaching, just experience working in general. But yeah. for me, a really big goal was to learn Chinese. I know a lot of other people from Canada, the U.S., the West in general, they go to China or Japan, Korea, whatever, lots of different countries. And their main goal is to teach and make money. And they often will learn like basic language skills to get by, but that's it because they don't have the time or the interest or the passion or maybe not the resources to devote their time to it. But for me, it was more like a 50-50 split. Like 50% mm -hmm. of my time and energy was work and teaching at 50% was learning. So I was really devoted to it. So definitely that was one of my main intentions of going there. So I really put a lot of effort into learning Chinese. So I wish I She's could She's calling say me out right now, guys. She's calling me out because I also spent 10 months in Japan and this was like one of our first conversations and I never felt so embarrassed to tell her that I hadn't learned any Japanese during my time there as I knew she was like, you know, bilingual, trilingual, whatever. So I'm like, oh yeah. So she's like, didn't you learn the language? And I'm like, um, no. <laughs> so she's calling me out 100%. And I'm it is wondering. something that I regret. So. Not, not my intention. I think because I am such a language nerd and get so excited about mm -hmm. learning languages, you know, because it's such a big part of my life that sometimes it's hard for me to understand that that is not the case for everybody, right? So, yeah, for me, like, <laughs> I understand. Now, at least I understand a little bit better now that that's not the case for everybody. For a lot of people, yeah, they might want to learn more about the country, the culture, but their interest isn't as much in the language. And for me, it was the language itself that really 
was the initial pull to yeah. the country. It wasn't like the other way around. No, I get that. Like a lot of people, they do feel obligated to learn the language because they're interested in the country. But for you, although you had that initial experience, perhaps mm-hmm. it was more that the language and the process of learning language was what attracted you to the country and to living there. So maybe, I like that. But you definitely have a lot of experiences with learning languages and it all adds up. And I think it's something that's really amazing. And I always push people, you know, if you are obviously going to live in another country, you should take that time and take that effort to learn the language. So yeah, 100%, I can agree with you on that. So again, you said you went to mainland China originally, and then you went to Taiwan afterwards. Had you heard a lot about Taiwan before? Was there like a particular reason why you chose that over mainland or anything? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And to be honest, no, not really. When I was looking into moving there, my first thought was definitely mainland China. It's a lot bigger, a lot more well-known. I had been there before, but I was just looking overall for opportunities in a Chinese-speaking country. And then I also learned that it's a little bit easier for Canadians Mm. to move to Taiwan. They're not as strict with like visas and things like that. So that was one thing. And it just so happened that as I was looking at different organizations and different opportunities, that there was one in Taiwan that really stood out that it wasn't going to be a full-time job that would take up Mm. all of my time. I got plugged in with an organization in Taiwan. They gave me connections with like different local organizations for teaching English and teaching like kids from underprivileged neighborhoods and things like that. So I wasn't actually teaching at a school. I was teaching in like some social programs. I didn't know that. So were you going from like place to place? You went at one location too? Yeah, yeah. So it was about three times a week, I believe, that I would work with different local organizations and just teach English there. Wow, yeah. that's cool. So you had to have find your own like transportation to get to the oh, different yeah. places too? <laughs> I was very independent, yeah. Was that difficult, trying to get around? To some degree, yeah. So one thing that I simultaneously really liked about this opportunity and this whole situation, and that just made my life a lot more challenging, was that I was not in a big city. I guess technically I lived in an area, a smaller city, kind of connected to a big city. So Mm -hmm. I lived in a city called Kaohsiung, but I lived on like the outskirts of it. And the community and the neighborhood where I lived was, yeah, it was quite far from the city center. And it was a lot more rural, working class Mm -hmm. people, definitely not as developed as the city, like the inner city. And Mm -hmm. there were almost no other English speakers or foreigners there. So I really, really stood out (laughs) there uh, when I was like on the streets and things like that. And was that a problem for you at all? Yes, I guess. (laughs) So the thing is, there's a lot that I loved about it, which is that I was very fully immersed in like very authentic Taiwanese culture. Yeah. It was a lot less westernized than Mm -hmm. Taipei or Shanghai or Beijing and mainland China. So that was great. So yeah, it really felt like very authentic. I was living a very Taiwanese type of lifestyle. I rode my bicycle everywhere. I was eating purely Taiwanese food because they did not have any Western food. Like there was no McDonald's even in my neighborhood. I would have had to travel into the city to get to McDonald's. Not that I missed it, but <laughs> it just feels like... Oh no, I had I had people in Japan that like ate at McDonald's all the time. And I was like, no. what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think... 
I'm not sure I ate McDonald's a single time while I was there because I happen to love Taiwanese food. But regardless, that just shows how like non-Westernized it was, I guess. Yeah. So there was a lot that was great about it. I really felt like I was living an authentic Taiwanese lifestyle and that was great and that's good yeah 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 there's you're thrown in the deep end but that's what you were looking for for sure for sure but of course that made my life pretty difficult it was very very stressful especially when I first got there I had basic speaking skills but Mm. I was not able to read I was Chinese illiterate at that Mm. time and no kanji, nothing, like not even kanji. a couple characters. <laughs> uh, yes, kanji is the Japanese, uh, oh. the Japanese term. I just say kanji for everything, but yeah. yeah. Makes, sense. Makes sense. Chinese characters, I guess, is the term. Chinese characters. Mean, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I knew how to recognize maybe 10, 20 characters. Okay. It could be not... useful, like food and water, basic yeah, survival and actually, skills. So one of the things that was most stressful for me was food and restaurants Mm, uh, because mm. I could not read menus and like my food vocabulary also wasn't very good, but there Mm. were a few easy characters that I was able to recognize and pretty much I would walk around until I would recognize some characters that I recognized because I was pretty kind of shy and self-conscious about my inability to read. So I didn't want to just walk into a restaurant, not even knowing what kind of food they have and be like, hello, can I have rice? You know, I don't know. I was too self-conscious for that. So pretty much I'd walk around until I recognized some symbols and some very easy and common ones. And it's actually one of Taiwan's like most popular and one of their like national dishes. It's just beef noodle soup. And so I would walk around until I could see like the Chinese characters for beef noodle soup. In my first like two or three weeks, I had beef noodle soup pr- probably once a day. Oh, <laughs> because no. that was the only thing I could read and like feel confident. Yeah. That I knew what I was eating and that I'd be able to order it confidently. And luckily, I love beef noodle soup. So that wasn't a problem. But. It was very nerve wracking for me. And that was like one of my first orders of business is I actually got a friend to go around with me to like pick up the like take home versions of menus. And I would sit and translate them all and figure out what they said, what the food was and those kinds of things. So after that, I was a lot more prepared and I would, you know, read the menu in advance, know what I wanted to order and be able to go in there and order confidently and know what I was getting. But those first few weeks, especially, it was really stressful. And because I lived alone, I knew very few people, no people my own age. I hadn't made any friends yet. I was very stressed out. (laughs) Let's just say that. I can understand that fully. I think anyone could understand that because I don't think many people would be up for that challenge, even to begin with. Even just thinking about it would probably stress them out. But like you said, that's kind of what you went there for. It's kind of what you wanted. And it really helped you to learn the language because living in another country doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to pick up the language. That's still a very conscious choice that you have to make. And you made it by picking up those menus and by actually studying that. Right. Going and ordering the restaurant, it's one of those things that seems quite simple, but can be quite complicated. You know, I have a lot of questions from students, oh, how do I order in a restaurant? And I say, well, these are the kind of very simple phrases that we might use because we don't have a lot of complex conversations with the waitress. Mm -hmm. You can reuse some of those things. 
Actually, what might be more difficult in that situation is the variety of dishes on the menu. When we learn another language, we start by learning bananas and rice and pasta, maybe some really basic vocab, but we don't learn the whole... I don't know what soup you said, black bean, I don't know. No, beef noodle soup. Beef noodle soup. I couldn't forget it. How can I forget it? You said it so many times. You couldn't learn like beef noodle soup or all the more specialized dishes, especially if they're all new to you. So I think it's good. I think it's really amazing that you were able to do that. And I think a lot of people would find that quite inspiring that you had that motivation. And instead of just shrinking away in your room and being like, oh my God, this sucks, what have I got myself into? Let me book a plane and get back home straight away. You took the initiative and you pushed yourself further. Even though you're already uncomfortable, you made yourself more uncomfortable in actually going out and learning the language and ended up being enjoyable, not uncomfortable, I guess, in the end. So it worked out for you, right? It did, yeah. It was definitely like the first few months were quite difficult and I definitely had some thoughts of what am I doing here? Why am I doing this to myself? But every month it got easier and easier. Whereas by the end, enjoying myself quite a bit, I was fairly fluent. I had friends that I could speak Chinese with comfortably and people to do things with and I knew my way around and all that. So by the time I left, it kind of felt like, man, things are just getting good. You know, I'm just starting to really feel comfortable here and enjoy myself. But that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that could have been a bit of a culture shock, some of the things that you've mentioned already. But was there anything else that was a culture shock or didn't perhaps meet your expectations? Or did everything meet your expectations? Had you done lots of research and it was just everything came naturally to you? Yeah, there definitely were a few things that still surprised me. One thing, honestly, that surprised me was my reaction to being a minority in Taiwan. Okay. I had experienced it to some degree in China, but that was a much shorter amount of time where there's a lot of staring, a lot of pointing. You know, I really stood out as somebody with light hair and I do have blue eyes. So I stood out. Very so piercing hard. blue eyes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um So I stood out so much and I had experienced some of the pointing and staring in China, but I didn't know how much it would get to me as time went by. I've heard some people say that like, oh, they just didn't even notice anymore and it didn't bother them. I found that it bothered me more and more, I guess. As time went by, I felt more and more like this was my new home. This is where I belonged. And I was speaking Chinese, I was living a very like Taiwanese type of lifestyle, and yet people were constantly pointing at me and pointing me out to their friends and saying like, look at that foreigner, like, isn't she big? Because of course I was taller and broader than most Taiwanese women, and I could understand them. And it's not that it hurt my feelings, and I knew that they weren't being rude. It was like a constant reminder that I didn't quite fit in, that I didn't quite belong. So, so you started to feel more and more alienated, even though you were there for a longer time. So you, you already described that you started to feel more comfortable, obviously, in your language skills and with the culture. But at the same time, this kind of thing was happening in reverse in that like you started to feel more and more alienated as time went on yeah. from the local people. Do you think that everyone had like really good intentions, though? Like, were the people really friendly? Yeah, in general, people were just excited to see a foreigner because it was yeah. so rare for them. So I never had a negative experience with people being rude to me or being scared of me. They were quite shy. So there definitely were times, especially people living in my apartment building, where if we were coming to get like 
about to pass each other in the hallway, they would turn around and go oh. the other way because they were so like shy and embarrassed. That's a bit weird. <laughs> a bit. <laughs> Not sure I feel good about that. Okay. Yeah. But again, like I knew they were just feeling like intimidated and maybe they were worried. Scary and... Magdalene. She's coming after you. She's coming <laughs> after your books. <laughs> maybe they were worried I would like try talking to them in English. I don't know. Uh, but... That would make sense. So yeah. there were those types of moments where people would kind of like hide or try to take pictures of me in secret. I didn't love that either. So those Ooh, kinds of things. You noticed that? Ooh, oh, yeah. That's not that good. Like in the subway, things like that. That sounds sketchy. Yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that either. Yeah, okay. so there are so, a few of those things I didn't love. But overall, like, again, they were just doing it because they were excited. They were curious. It was never, like, bad intentions. So I did have to acknowledge that. And most of the time, I tried to be friendly. And if they asked for a picture, depending on whether I was comfortable with it or not, Sometimes I would agree, say like, yeah, I'll take a picture with you. But some days I just wasn't up for it. So at least they were friendly and they were usually very, very pleased when they found that I could speak Chinese and was able to communicate with them and tell them about myself. So so I feel like that, though, that point that you've just made, though, about perhaps a slight alienation and people's reaction to you was perhaps kind of like a deal breaker for why you wouldn't want to live there full time. Or would you still like say, oh, I'd love to live there like for a longer period of time. Yeah, it's hard to say. Again, the area where I lived was farther from the city center. I'm sure if I had lived in Taipei or in Kaohsiung proper, that probably wouldn't have happened nearly as much. There would be a lot more Westerners, a lot more white people and black people that they wouldn't feel so shocked every time they saw one and they wouldn't take as much notice of it all the time. So that probably would make my life easier, not quite feel that much alienation. But the problem is I really appreciate that like very authentic Taiwanese experience. So I'm not even sure if I would want to live in this kind of westernized type of city. So it's hard to say. I'm sure if I had spent even more time there, and especially if I had made more maybe western friends or at least people who looked more like me, I'm not sure. Like maybe those things could have helped probably I understand. so hard to say I mean everyone's experience is different essentially like you said you did live in a very rural area so even that you compared your experience with how people reacted to you to how other people dealt with it and they said they just got used to it mm-hmm. um, but maybe you know obviously if you're living in the capital there are going to be more foreigners and in general people won't be so like shocked and maybe they will even be more likely to know a little bit of perhaps English as well because yeah, of true. whatever their job and their company right so things like that you would have a completely different experience but that's not the point like it, this is your experience and this is right. what you went through and it's very valid so and I think it's very interesting for people because when they move to other countries it's not always the case that you move to the capital most people can't afford that like you know if people mm-hmm. are moving to the UK if they move to London like great but like I also feel kind of bad for them because that's really expensive. So the majority of people do find themselves perhaps in more rural communities, a little bit more in the deep end and maybe a little bit more outside of their comfort zone than what they had perhaps originally even imagined for themselves in that country. So it's all very, very interesting, very important to hear about that, really. I guess just kind of going a bit more like lighthearted because you also went there to travel, obviously. So like even just from your own experience of going back and traveling or just for people who know nothing about Taiwan, because I don't think it's a very well known or advertised yeah. country for tourist purposes. Are there any like spots that you would like highly recommend that people visit? 
Yeah, for sure. So you're right. Not a lot of people know about Taiwan. Most people, before I went, if I told them I was going to Taiwan, they would say like, oh, but I thought you were learning Chinese. Why aren't you going somewhere where they speak Mandarin Chinese? <laughs> and I could tell them like, no, Taiwan, they do. They do speak Chinese. You know, they just know very well. I can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's, such, it's such a small country and not a lot of people even know where it is. So Anyway, yeah, Taiwan is gorgeous, and it's an island country, so it's a small island off the coast of China, like southeastern China, and it's very, very mountainous, so it kind of, Mm. like, central Taiwan is just, like, pure mountains. It's very, very empty, so people live mostly just around the coast of Taiwan, Yeah, and so there are lots of really gorgeous mountains, and we did, you know, drive up them, climb up some of them, really amazing So Taiwan, it looks a little bit, I don't know how to just, it's kind of like an oval shape. This is what it's like. You're describing a map now. That's quite difficult to do. An oval oval island. Yeah. So it's kind of an oval shaped island. And Taipei is at the north. Kaohsiung is at the closer to the south. And Mm -hmm. all the west coast is mostly cities. It's a lot more urban. There are some really interesting cities there, and it has a lot of very traditional temples and buildings in that area, which I really loved. And a lot of the buildings and temples and shrines and those kinds of things are a lot more traditional, and some of them are even older than the ones you can find in mainland China, because in China, a lot of them got destroyed. So that's really cool if you really want an experience of like very traditional Chinese culture, then you can definitely find that in Taiwan. That's something I found really cool. And there are some really nice beaches in the south tip of Taiwan. But I really feel like it is the east coast of Taiwan that really shines the brightest. It is absolutely gorgeous. The water is like super bright blue. Again, there's lots of mountains. So like the coastal drive is so gorgeous. There's a popular park called Taroko Gorge Park. And again, it's just like this gorgeous blue water and you're just surrounded by these, you know, you're in a gorge. And so there are these mountains and cliffs all around you. So I really love that. Like a national park, you mean? Yeah, it's a national park. Yeah. Okay. When you say park, I think of like a kid's park. That's fine. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. No, it's a national that park. Cool. And yeah, so that's kind of an overview of the island. Did you climb any mountains? I did more the type where we would drive several hours up the mountain and then climb for the last hour or so. Yeah, so okay. I didn't do a lot of hardcore hiking. The main thing is that I didn't really have anybody to go hiking with because, of course, Most of my friends were, you know, they had jobs and families and things like that. And I had moved there alone. So I didn't really have a hiking partner, unfortunately. But we did take some like day trips and one, two, three hour hikes, that kind of thing. And you got some good views at the top because I know sometimes people go all the way up and then it's like cloudy or something. Yeah. In one case, I was pretty lucky. When we got there, it was clear and it was beautiful. And then within half an hour, we couldn't see a thing (laughs) because of the cloud. Okay. At least you got it. At least you got the view. That's what matters. Yeah. So is there anything else you would share about your experience with Taiwan? Any like advice you give for anyone else who wants to visit there? For people who want to visit Taiwan in particular, 
A big thing about Taiwan, and it's very popular actually, you can do something called Huan Dao, which is like circle the country, something like that. Oh, okay. And again, yeah. It's not big. So it's very common for people to like ride their whole bikes around the whole country wow. within a week or two or something like that. Obviously, if you like biking, sure, knock yourself out. <laughs> but that's not my preferred way to get around. But yeah. I would recommend going around the whole country. It doesn't take that long where you can like start in Taipei a couple days there and make your way south and then make your way back up to the north. So you can just circle the whole thing. So if you're going by car, you don't need a couple weeks. You can do it in a bit no, no. faster time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure from tip, like north tip to southern tip, it probably takes like six, seven hours maximum. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's, yeah for Canadians, know, that's nothing, right? So. Exactly, yeah. It's like that's a tiny, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. like a small amount of time. You can do that in one day. Yeah, so probably that's what I would recommend. Like go around the whole thing because you have the big cities at the north tip and the south tip. On the western side, you have more interesting cities, a lot of interesting buildings and historical places. And then once you hit the southern tip, spend a couple of days at the beach and then make your way back up around the east coast. And then you'll have these gorgeous coastal views. So personally, I think like go around the whole island. It shouldn't take you too long. And there is amazing stuff to see all the way around it. Good. Well, you heard it here first. If you want to see <laughs> Taiwan, you have to go around the whole country. You can't just mm-hmm. pick one spot. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's a good recommendation. If it's a small place, why not do that? Perfect. So since then, obviously, you've been back in Canada because you're from Canada. Would you consider living anywhere else in the future? I'm not sure if I want to live in another country for an extended amount of time. I have often thought that I would love to spend like half of my year in Taiwan. I would love okay. to escape the Canadian <laughs> winters and spend them yeah. in the much milder Taiwanese winters, which they feel like spring, maybe even summer sometimes. It's something a lot of Canadians do. We say that yeah. a lot of Canadians fly south for the winter, just like the geese do, often following them directly to Florida. So that's not something unusual to say that you want to spend six months during the winter there. So Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a fun <laughs> idea. Obviously, I love living in Canada, but often during the winters, I think there are nicer places where I could be right now. (laughs) So that's kind of like a dream, I would say right now with work, it doesn't really Mm -hmm. work to to leave for half of the year. But in the future, that is something I would really like to do. And there are other countries because I love to go to other countries for several months and focus on language learning. That is definitely something I would love to do. But for now, I think I'll be continuing to live and consider Canada my home. I like that. I think I'm glad that you like already thought about that. (laughs) You put a lot of thought into it, but you concluded that, yeah, Canada is your home. That's why you feel at home. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Madeline. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here on the podcast for a second time. Don't be surprised if I drag you back for a third because you have many interesting stories. (laughs) I'll be happy to. Um, (laughs) But thank you for sparing your time today. I have one final challenge for you. So I hope that you're ready. Um, It's a big challenge, really big challenge. (laughs) I was wondering if you could close today's episode in Mandarin for us. Sure. Make sure to tune in for future episodes because I will be doing more interviews like this. I think it's really interesting to hear about people's perspective, especially living in other countries. But yeah, there's definitely going to be more like this to come. And that's it from me today. 
and I'll let Madeline finish off the episode. 谢谢大家听我们的讲话，下次再见。